This segment of its rainmaking time is sponsored by the Sterling Hut, providers of Italian fine silver gifts for all of life's occasions. Go to the sterlinghut.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to its rainmaking time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Sidney Ross Singer to the show today. We're going to be talking specifically about his book, Dress to Kill, The Link Between Breast Cancer and Bras. It's a look at the revolutionary breast cancer theory and the remarkable evidence to substantiate it. Sidney Ross Singer is a medical anthropologist. He has done massive amount of work to bring us this revelation that really we take for granted, particularly us women, we've taken for granted that bras are actually inhibiting our lymphatic system, changing its nature and creating inputs into our biology that we hadn't considered before. Sidney Ross Singer is the author of several groundbreaking and controversial health books. He's the director of the Institute for the Study of Culturogenic Disease. He's located in Hawaii, and he's internationally recognized for his revolutionary and shocking research linking breast cancer with the wearing of tight bras. And so we're going to talk about what he calls applied medical anthropology, which is a pioneering new field of health research and shedding light on the many ways our culture is making us sick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Sydney Ross Singer to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning and aloha. Aloha, Kim. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. You're coming on It's Rainmaking Time is very timely. We've done many different shows on cancer and other diseases and staying healthy. And I have to tell you, I've always had a subconscious hit that our bras today, particularly wired bras, are changing the nature of our lymphatic system and with microwave stations all over the place and all of the electromagnetic pollution and dirty energy, then maybe there's something in connection with this that could be impacting us. But talk a little bit about medical anthropology and how it's different than regular anthropology and how you got to this link that you discovered. Well, what I uh, have as a background is um, I have graduate training in biochemistry, anthropology, and I've been in medical school and I've been in medical humanities uh, graduate school as well. And I've integrated all of these to study how the culture makes us sick. And th the reason I got turned on to that is I was so aware in medicine of how little they really look at, at, um, at lifestyle. I mean, they hardly even teach nutrition, especially when I went to medical school back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it's like the, the focus of medicine is to diagnose symptoms for drug treatments. And that's what a medical doctor does. Just like when you go to a chiropractor, they'll try to figure out whether you need an adjustment or not. And that's their answer. A nutritionist will give you a nutritional answer. A medical doctor gives you a medical answer with either drugs or surgery. But they're not addressing the cause of the problem. And we, I, it was early on I, I realized, you know, it was the World Health Organization says that most of the problems that we suffer from are lifestyle caused. They're built into the way we live. And with my background in anthropology and medicine, I've integrated them to, to develop an approach that looks at how the culture makes us sick by giving us harmful attitudes and behaviors that lead to uh, lead to disease. See, the body has certain biological requirements, but when the culture imposes itself on the body or the mind, uh, forcing us to, to, um, to do something that's unnatural for our bodies, uh, we end up getting disease. And we got into the breast cancer field quite surprisingly and shockingly from a personal experience that we had in Fiji doing some other research. My wife, Somo, is, was pregnant at the time. And uh, coincidentally, about a week before uh, we discovered a lump in her breast that freaked us out, about a week before that, we were on a remote island in Fiji where bras are really not uh, common. And Soma was hanging out on a line. She was drying some bras that she had. And this young girl came over to her and said, what are those? And she was really never saw one before. And my wife had to explain, you know, it's a bra, and, and what's it for? Well, you, you put it on your breasts, and it holds them up. And the girl looked at it and, and felt it, and she says, isn't it tight? And my wife said, well, I suppose it is, but you get used to that. And then a week later, we discovered this lump in her breast that we didn't know what could have caused this. I mean, we had a healthy lifestyle for the most part, you know, vegetarian and so forth. 
So we um, we just came back to the United States in a in a panic. Like, what are we going to do? She's pregnant. You don't want to do radiation. You don't want to do anything. What caused this? So that's the first question you really need to ask yourself. Why did this happen? And uh, as she removed her bra after a long trip back from Fiji to California uh, at the time, she uh, we took off her, her – uh, we, t- we went to take a shower, and she took her bra off, and we saw these red marks and indentations around her breasts, which are pretty typical. We, see, we saw them all the time, and a lot of women know those red marks left by the bra. But now uh, I was looking for clues to disease, and it suddenly became apparent that that was constriction. And constriction is not a good thing for the body. It causes impairment of circulation, most particularly the lymphatic system, which consists of tiny, tiny little tubules that begin in the tissues and drain fluid. These are microscopic. It drains fluid that bathes the cells in our tissues, lymph fluid that the cells get nourishment from and release wastes into. That fluid flushes through these little tubules into lymph nodes, which for most of the breast flushing goes into the armpit lymph nodes. And then there's like the, the fluid is filtered and if there's any cancer cells or viruses or bacteria or whatever, then there's an immune reaction uh, and, and you get a swollen lymph node. And then eventually the fluid returns to the bloodstream. Well, if you, this, this system is a passive drainage system. It's separate from the, the, the blood system that has the arteries, capillaries, and veins and is under pressure of the heart. This system is a passive system that movement helps it flush deep breathing, massage um, of muscles contracting. So it's, and there are valves in these little vessels to keep it moving one way. So it's a passive movement system. And it's, it's very easily constricted by pressure. So if, uh, if you wear anything tight, the first thing that gets cut off would be the lymphatics uh, and the drainage of, of the tissues that, that are supposed to be have this fluid removed. And the result is the tissue gets slightly swollen, and over time, what's happening in the breast is the fluid, if you look at where the bra goes from the shoulder down around the cup and so forth, it's basically creating a pressure barrier uh, between the breast and the armpit lymph nodes and even the lymph nodes below the breast and in the sternum. Uh, it's like the breasts are being encased and, and like in a corset that's squeezing and constricting them, and it prevents this fluid from escaping. And the result is that uh, in the breast tissue, women develop cysts, which is this fluid that builds up in the tissue spaces. And as soon as they get rid of the bra, these cysts, the fluid goes away, finally can drain. Over years, the tissue, though, will develop fibrous tissue as, as um, scar tissue moves in uh, where the cysts are. And that's what fibrocystic breast disease is all about. It should be called tight bra syndrome. And when women... Re- re- some women have been told, ironically and incorrectly by the doctors, to wear a well-fitted bra like to keep your breasts, when you have breast swelling uh, and fibrocystic breast disease, to wear the bra as sort of a pressure bandage to keep the swelling down. And some women will, will do that, and then when they try to remove the bra, the breasts are so heavy and painful and are so used to being held up artificially that they... They don't have any internal suspensory uh, support anymore. It's like atrophy. So they get really heavy and painful. They keep those bras on. And obviously, this over time, this stagnation is going to be a problem. Women should be taking the bra off. That's what's causing this stagnation of the lymph and the pressure and so forth. In fact, when women get rid of their bras, they don't even, many of them, uh, the majority report that they don't even feel menstrual breast pain anymore. They used to feel before their period would come. You know, your body swells with estrogen, and that causes fluid retention. And um, it's part of a flushing mechanism that the whole menstrual cycle is about. And their breasts are actually larger during that time of the month. And they're wearing the same size bra, so they're even more constricted. So women get their, their cysts get bigger and more painful and everything. Uh, they get more pain during that time of the month because their breasts are bigger and they're even further constricted by the same size bra. So if they get rid of the bra... That goes away, and so many women tell me that they don't even know when the period's coming now. They used to be able to tell by the uh, the soreness, and now they can't tell anymore. I mean, it, it's a remarkable change. Well, how does that connect with cancer? Um, and the, what, what happens is, since the lymphatic system is involved with cleansing the tissue, that includes toxic material in the tissue spaces, and we deliver toxins to our, to, throughout our body all the time 
and the pollution that we breathe. I mean, if you're riding on the highways, living in cities, I mean, you're, everything you breathe goes right into your bloodstream. And, get, and the food that we eat is contaminated with petrochemicals and, and with uh, herbicides and pesticides and all of that. And the water we drink has contaminants in it, a lot of petrochemical pollution, and a lot of these are carcinogenic chemicals. So they course throughout your body when you take them in, and your body has to detoxify them and eliminate them. And if you constrict part of the body so it can't flush out of those tissues, then that, that part of the body is going to get excessively toxic and not be able to be cleansed as well. With this revelation, is mm-hmm. the toxicity that's in the breast, the lymph system then, that's unable to drain it, it's localized. Is it, in effect, trapped then, if you will, to create a condition of cancer of the breast? Yeah, because the lymphatic fluid is going to be filled with waste products and carcinogens that need to be flushed out. Also, the oxygen in the tissue goes down. The, the, the tissue is starving, and over time it deteriorates. And as the oxygen goes down, things like free radicals build up, and the tissue's normal defense mechanisms aren't working. And realize the immune system's circulatory pathway is the lymphatics. That's how the immune system works. If you take a part of the body and cut it off, from the, 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 immune, the lymphatics are cut off from the rest of the body, blood will still be provided because that's under pressure. I mean, if the blood was cut off, you'd have major pain real fast and you'd have the obvious. This is what, what we have here with the bra and with other tight clothing is chronic clothing constriction that over time leads to a progressive deterioration and con- con- congestion and toxification of the tissue. Now, you take a kid at 10 years old and you put a bra on them, you know, early puberty is a risk factor for breast cancer. And that's because the younger a kid hits puberty and gets this, you know, rite of passage thing now culture does with giving them a bra. I mean, think of what you're doing. You're taking like a 10-year-old and their bodies are really uh, very um, impressionable. And not fully formed, and they have to grow. And you take these growing breasts and you put a constrictive band around them. I mean, that's what a training bra is doing. And it's training the girl to get used to breast constriction. Just this, you know, this, what's really amazing, Kim, when you really think about this, it's so obvious. If we were to step back in history and talk about the age of corsets and wigs, I mean, 200 years ago, nobody went outside without corsets and wigs. I mean, it was essential. And corsets were being sold on the basis of you need the support, which, of course, wearing the corset created a dependency. Your body, the muscles atrophy, and you became dependent on this external support. That's exactly what happens with the bras. Breasts become droopier and weaker because of bras. And a recent study in France just verified that. Uh, and it's, it's been known anyway as logical, although the bra industry sells bras telling women this will prevent your breasts from drooping. But I'll tell you what, leave it to the French. Tell me more what the French found out. I love the French. (laughs) This scientist measured breasts for 15 years. He measured the changes in breasts from going with a bra to without a bra. And the, the nipples lifted. Women's breasts actually got toned. They lost stretch marks. They lost back aches. And some of these were athletic women. Uh, and they preferred athletics with no bra once they got used to it. You see, there's no flaw in female anatomy that requires 20th century lingerie to correct. You I know? agree with you, it's except all- for one thing, Sid, except for one thing I want to add. I was a former tournament tennis player, and I have fairly large breasts. And I will tell you, as a servant volleyer, it would probably mm-hmm. not have been too comfortable for me to go without a bra in that field. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's a very important point. And women with large breasts feel like, oh, well, I need a bra. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, We're running ahead in the story here because we ended up doing a study about the cancer issue where we interviewed like 5,000 women, half of them had breast cancer, and we wanted to know their past bra-wearing behavior. And we figured, okay, if this is true, then women who wear bras more are more likely to have cancer. If we look at women who have cancer, you look at their past history of bra-wearing, they should be higher than the women who don't have breast cancer. And, and indeed, that's what we found. It was amazing. It seems that from our results, we found that bra-free women have about the same rate of breast cancer as men. And the longer and tighter you constrict the breasts, the greater the risk goes. So that 24-7 bra-wearing, never taking it off, which unfortunately is becoming 
so common it, and breast cancer rates are shooting up as a result, especially in Asia, this is happening now, um, that, you know, when you wear it that, that much, it increases your risk over 100 times. I mean, that's 10,000%. It's huge. So you're taking like uh, uh, the background of, rate of uh, breast cancer, like men get breast cancer too, but it's background. Even genetic issues, for example, are rare. The most, you know, when, when that's, it's so sad that the Angelina Jolie thing has made everyone think breast cancer is a genetic problem. It's very small amount of breast cancer is genetic, like around 5%. And they still don't know the genetic link and it could be familial because people wear bras the same too. I mean, it could be behavioral. But in any event, uh, it's a very small percentage is genetic, and they, they claim the medical industry that refuses to look at the bra issue, by the way, claims that they don't know what's causing 70% of breast cancer. I want to take it back. Uh, you were talking about Angelina Jolie and this misguidance that's out there now, and it's a very, very small percentage of genetic predisposition. Yeah, very small amount of it is genetics. Uh, I think th- you know, the majority of breast cancer... Uh, can be explained by the bra, which the medical community refuses to research, which is really, really uh, a crime, in my opinion, uh, that this this very obvious connection is being is so taboo in our culture to consider. Uh, you see, there's a huge lingerie industry that doesn't want this information out, that threatened my publisher for Dress to Kill, in 1995, we got the book published. After our research, we did a study in 1991 to 93 of this bronze breast cancer study. And then we got it published when we were ignored by the medical community. They completely didn't want to hear this. Even women's groups ignored us. We started to get a real taste of what a culturogenic disease is. A culturogenic disease, which is what breast cancer is, it's caused by the culture, and it's not just bra wearing. It's everything that that's connected to. It's the whole fashion industry and its reliance on artificially shaped breasts. It's the, uh, the whole Barbie thing, the whole body image thing. And it's, so you have multi-billion dollar industry that doesn't want to admit that its products are causing cancer. So if there's no research, then you can't take them to court. So they, don't, they want to minimize the research and the medical industry is now being paid by the lingerie industry to do cancer research into genetics and other things that people have no control over and certainly not the bra. So medicine is being paid for that, plus the pharmaceutical companies that make breast cancer treatment drugs do not want this research either, and have made it very clear. I have a couple questions for you that are very specific, having to do with things that may be in our control as women. Number one, the sports bras are different from the bras with underwire. Obviously, you're suggesting no bras or the minimal amount of time possible. I get that. When you're wearing a bra, isn't it better to wear a sports bra than it is an underwire bra? Because with an underwire, now you have electromagnetics involved, too. Sure, but sports bras can also be extremely constrictive. But if you want to wear a sports bra while you're doing sports, then go for it, but take it off right afterwards. Like if a man was wearing a jock strap because he needed testicular you know, control and support like he was playing basketball. I don't even know if men wear jock straps anymore. But when I was a kid, you know, in, in, in uh, gym class, every, you, know, you had to have your jock strap. I guess men are afraid to droop also. But, you know, the, the thing is, we don't really need those. The body can work fine. But when you're large-breasted and you want to have some control, there's nothing wrong with maybe at those times for an hour or two controlling your breasts and then afterwards you take it off. But realize that uh, you probably would be better served doing a sports activity that was more body-friendly. Just as if you were an overweight person you, and you wanted to, to go jogging, I wouldn't recommend you go jogging. You're going to mess up your knees. So, okay, so you're going to wear knee supports and, and braces and, uh, you know, elastic and everything to try to support your knees. I mean, I suppose if it's, you're that desperate to jog, but I would recommend that a person fit their uh, activities to, their suit, to suit their bodies, not fit, you know, try to do whatever activity it is, make your body suit the activity. If it hurts you, don't do that. You know, you can always buy a contraption to make it so you can do it. But, you know, my general feeling is if your body is telling you it's not comfortable, then you need to listen to that message and find something that is. And I think our culture, this is another cultural problem, is it tells people to have the attitude that 
we should be able to do anything regardless of our bodies. The body is never considered. You know, you should be able to do any activity as long as you have the right equipment and training. And that's what our marketing focused economy is telling people. You know, it doesn't say, oh, you're not good for this. How often do you see someone screening in athletics, screening someone saying this is not a good athletics for you activity. You should be doing this activity. This is better for your body. That's what people should be doing. So and, and by the way, large breasts does not mean you need to support them in a bra. When we did our follow up study in Fiji, our first study was in the U.S. in five major cities. Our second follow up study was in Fiji, where most women, half of them were bra free. And we went around to villages where you have the same genetics. People are all related. They're eating the same food. So diet and genetics are controlled for. And the difference is some women were working in jobs that were sort of Western defined, like either in resorts or as teachers or something like that. And to look professional, they needed to wear bras because the Western fashion of bras is considered more professional in those cultures. So the professional women were starting to get breast cancer. And we went there. The health ministry was very, very excited about this because it made sense. They were wondering why the working women are starting to get breast cancer. And we found, we went village to village, and the only breast cancer cases we could find were in women who were wearing bras. It was pretty black and white. We found over 20 some odd cases, uh, case histories. But it was really interesting because after we notified the Fijian health ministry about this, and they were so excited, about a week later, the whole attitude changed, and the friendliness stopped, and it's like the somebody up on top told them, you're not supposed to support this idea. And of course, they make bras in Fiji, we found out, and there's a tremendous resistance to attacking something as embedded in our economy as bras. And then the medical industry is completely embarrassed that they've ignored the most obvious thing in breast disease. They've ignored looking at the bra for cancer. They've looked at it for other things like headaches, back aches, tingling down the arms because it cuts off the nerve with the straps. I mean, you've seen large-breasted women with deep grooves in their shoulders. Uh, that's a lot of pressure causing those grooves, and it impinges on the nerves going down the arm. That's been shown. Skin depigmentation and dermatitis from bras. But they... And they haven't wanted to look at the cancer link. And even with the publicity we've had in the last 20 years or so, and the fact that the book is around the world, the information is around the world, and I'm sure millions of women have tried this already and have reported, uh, some of them reported back to us how, how their lives have changed. You got cut off after you said lives have changed. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know if you find us having difficulty going back and forth and he gets cut off, I want you to understand he's in the jungle of Hawaii. He's on a wireless system and we're doing a Skype call. And so it's a little bit frustrating, but we're still delighted to have him. Sid, <laughs> do you remember yes. where we were? <laughs> Who's on first? You know, I think the point I want to emphasize is that the excuse that you uh when we were in Fiji, uh, I was saying how they were very pleased, but then everything turned on us. And how the American Cancer Society and the Susan G. Komen Foundation are saying that this is a myth. The bra cancer link is a myth and that it doesn't even deserve consideration. And I think that's because they have a real guilty uh, conscience on this whole thing. I think they clearly research has been done. By the way, a Harvard study in 1991, before our research, I didn't even know about this study. It's why we were doing ours. They looked at uh, handedness, like right or left handed, and breast size and breast cancer incidence. And as part of their study, they were looking at uh, what, what your bra size was to tell what your breast size was, which is not really a, a good way to do it because most women wear, wear the wrong size. Uh, like that's a known fact now that even the industry is saying. But anyway, they did that. And then they looked at their numbers and they were amazed that the women who were bra free in their group had had like 40% of the breast cancer incidences as the as the, bra, as the women who wore bras in other words wearing a bra increased breast cancer rates over 100% now that's very significant and it should have been researched further but it was not part of their model their paradigm they weren't looking for that so they explained it away as a fluke and they thought maybe it has to do with size or something despite the fact that their study showed that size was not a big indicator. It couldn't explain size. But they, they were researching that, and uh, if they were going to, I could tell the pressure they would have received not to. So anyway, they ignored it. I was told about this by the media. NPR was covering 
stories they didn't cover for the year, 1995, and they called me at the end of the year about my the brown breast cancer story. And they said, did you know you have support? Because otherwise, there is no research on this. None. There is like a hole in the research field on breast cancer that doesn't look at bras. So it's, it's amazing. It's like looking at lung cancer and ignoring whether people smoke or looking at foot disease and ignoring the kind of shoes they wear. I mean, obviously, bras are the biggest impact people have on their breasts. Is this, in effect, what you're referring to as applied medical anthropology? Actually, the applied medical anthropology means we apply the, anthropo- the, the, the concept to specific disease. Apply it whenever a science is applied, then it has a practical application, rather than like basic research where you're just looking for stuff. Here we specifically, we look specifically for how certain organs get diseased or how certain diseases are caused by certain lifestyle conditions. So it's very practical and very applied. And it's anthropology because the cause is our behavior. Right. Can I just bring you into a quick and practical question that I have for the women that are listening and for the men that love the women in their lives and want to usher this information to them? So, for example, let's talk about women going to work with a bra on. What is the statistics for the amount of hours a woman wears a bra? Talk about that and risk factors, how they go up or down. If she wears it less than 12 hours a day, her risk is a little bit higher than uh, normal uh, cancer risk for women, which is like one in eight. Um, And as she goes over 12 hours a day, risk rises substantially by 18 hour bras. I mean, that's a common woman usually will put it on in the morning and take it off when they go to bed. If they take it off, just keep it on in bed because they've been told they've been lied to by the the bra industry that will prevent drooping when it actually causes drooping, which has been proven now. And again, if you stop wearing it, your breasts will likely tone, it gets rid of stretch marks, it'll transform your life. It's really an amazing thing. And there was a documentary in, in 2000 in the UK called Bras the Bare Facts, where they had five assistant women to get rid of their bras. And their, their pain went away. It was incredible. This was documented, and it was all over the world, but it was censored from the US. And so I would say to these women, and by the way, uh, it is a problem that well, a lot of women are told you need, they, or they feel that there's a dress code that requires it. And you know what? If you try, first of all, I feel like that is definitely discrimination. If it was understood that bras are causing you pain and could be causing you disease, it's totally inappropriate. But of course, necktie can cause men disease too if it's too tight. It causes brain pressure and, you know, circulation problems. So, and probably thyroid, you know, pushing there. So the whole thing, all of our clothing could be problematic. And if we were much smarter about clothing, we wouldn't wear the fashions that we wear. But if you're going to work and your boss, you know, you, you have this feeling that you're being judged and looked at and you can't go bra free. First of all, most women who try this going bra free realize that nobody even notices. And you can wear a camisole and a T-shirt or other types of vest. There's ways of dressing to not emphasize your breasts. And if you notice if you do that, you'll notice that nobody will notice that you're bra free. Nobody gives it really cares. And it doesn't really shouldn't matter to you if it's your health issue anyway. Well, trust Here's me when point. I tell you that other women will notice that the women are not wearing bras because we notice that. So just for you to know. <laughs> and men who are looking at women's breasts will also notice that. So I don't know where you're coming up with that part. I know what you're saying. I know the essence of what you're saying is, you know, you can dress in a way where that part of your body's not emphasized. But both men and women look at other women's breasts, period. Well, you know, this is the culturogenic nature, but why should that even matter? No, I Why agree. Should... I, I mean, just because of the way that we're enculturated. We're enculturated to look. And women also, you know, use it to their advantage sometimes. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest that if breasts are considered um, benef- beneficial for a woman's physique and appearance and social arrangement, then she will do what she can to use her breasts. And some women, will, you know, they do the implants, they'll do the push-up bras, they'll do whatever they can to, to utilize their breasts as, as a tool of manipulation. So, it, you know, it's all built in. I want to add something to the last piece you said, you know, you said as a tool to manipulation. I want to add that as a tool of survival. It's not just manipulation. It's a survival tool. It and I, 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 it's definitely, I can tell you I'm a woman. I know for a fact it's both. And ironically, as a survival tool, it could be your undoing. I totally get that. I not only know it as a woman, I know it as a woman who's watched other women in action with it and feeling like they have to conform to this way of being. 
I think all of it's cultural. And then look at what we're talking about. And can you imagine a doctor just telling a woman to get rid of her bra or to, you know, it's not something that doctors do. And unfortunately, you know, the medical profession is making so much money on this disease that they have no investment in just telling women to do this. And I'll tell you what happens when you tell women to get rid of their bra. About half of them will say go to hell. And the other half might try it. And, you know, some women are so addicted. It's, it's like an addiction it's a, uh, to their bra. Their whole personal identity, self, a sense of self is tied with their, with their breasts. It's a very big thing that we, that we put such, uh, we enculturated women to have um, their identity be so tied in with their breasts. And we, at the same time, have objectified breasts and turned them into fashion accessories. And so women don't even own their breasts anymore. They're, they're objects for others to view. And you have to display them the right way. And it, we're not going to break through the breast cancer problem until we talk about this. No, I agree. I do want to say something as a woman. Let's take some of the African tribes. Let's say the Zulu, okay? okay? And you know how there's pictures in Time magazine with women standing there, and obviously they're braless. Well, they're drooped down to their feet. Their some breasts are, are not supple, strong muscles. They're absolutely drooped to their feet. I'm not taking on your discovery and your findings and the link because I think you're onto something critical. But what I'm saying is on a fashion level, if you've been enculturated as a woman that your breasts need to be supple, they need to be large if they can, you need to wear these bras, you shouldn't have them drooping down. That's a whole programming that goes on for years. And so just when I've looked out into African women, I have not seen African women with large breasts that didn't droop to their feet. They nurse babies from puberty on and kids are tugging at them and sucking at them constantly. And if they stretch out and get used like any cow or goat or any other lactating animal, the breasts will stretch out. But I know a lot of women, you know, if there's not yeah. So if you use them, they will stretch. But there are women who are still in Africa. I've seen lots of pictures of very firm, perky breasts. It's not like, and then you look at the bra on a woman that doesn't prevent them from drooping. They only have the shape that the bra provides when you're wearing the bra. You take that off and all these Western women who are afraid to nurse because they don't want their breasts stretching out and they're afraid to use it. So they're afraid to even use their breasts as a natural organ. Um, you know, they, that doesn't spare them necessarily. They, they still droop. But I know a lot of women in their 60s that, that have called up on all the radio shows I've done over the years and have testified I, I don't droop. I've never worn a bra. I've nursed children, and my breasts are the envy of all of my friends. Oh, that's cool. That's cool to hear. Oh, it's totally true. And, and there are other women who their breasts have lifted. By the way, there's an interesting, uh, well, Free the Boobies is a uh, <laughs> Facebook page. Go to Free the Boobies. There's women there who started this uh, to get women to try bra free, and they're sharing their experiences and doing YouTube videos. I'm going to give free books to the first Free sign, dress to kill is the first time people <laughs> participate in that. But they're experiencing the same thing. I mean, not only do they feel so much better once they get rid of the bra, but uh, in, in terms of their breasts are finally not constricted anymore, but they do tone up and get firmer. So, you know, if we're going to talk about should women not lactate because it might make their breasts droop. Oh, by the way, some African tribes hang weights on the nipples to make the breasts droop because that's fashionable. Possibly because they consider a woman who has used breasts fertile and valuable because you want a woman to lactate and have babies in those cultures. So in our cultures, you want them not to, to lactate, not to have babies. And soon with all the genetics that's coming around now, which was a real scare with Angelina Jolie, with the genetic testings that they're going to do. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if having children is something that people don't even want to try anymore because they're worried about genetics and disease and medicine is there and early detection. We'll, we'll treat you even before you're born and we'll, we'll even treat, make sure you don't have babies. I, that's my prediction of, uh, I think we're becoming so alienated from our natural natures that, you know, just as childbirth has become uh, turned into a medical condition and you have to go to the hospital instead of like home births, um, it's become medicalized. Having children, just genetically passing yourself on is going to be uh, something that people are not going to be comfortable with. I want to say something in response to the Angelina Jolie event, and that is that what's also interesting and what is not necessarily put together by the public is that the 
organization which did the original tests on that particular gene owns a patent for that human gene and the exclusive on the ability to test for it. Now, if that isn't a disgusting conflict of interest, it's so outrageous, a monopoly on a human gene and a monopoly on the test for it. If that isn't the biggest sham that ever walked, I don't know what is. And the test was not for a specific mutation connected to breast cancer, like, for example, sickle cell anemia is a specific mutation in hemoglobin that causes the problem of sickle cell anemia in red blood cells. With the, with the breast cancer gene, uh, actually the BRCA gene, that just is for a general cancer response. So I know many other cancers are caused too. It's, it's like these people have a weaker immune system when it comes to fighting cancers. So it, what we, what's really scary is as we move as a society, because clearly the money is in this. I mean, one gene test is $4,000, right? And as the money to get these, and then once you're tested, you're going to be, they'll tell you if it's a negative that you could still get the disease because it doesn't, you know, breast cancer is mostly not genetic anyway in this game and, can, and breast cancer. Uh, and if you're positive, they're going to like give you mammograms like crazy, which probably can cause breast cancer too because you're irradiating breast. They're going to give you all sorts of early tamoxifen, early intervention. So to, to medicine, this is, they're all about early detection and treatment. They're not about preventing they're about early detecting and treating. And this is the ultimate of early detection. Before you even have the disease, they can treat it with a surgical procedure, which can kill you itself. All surgery can. With a lifetime commitment to implants and, and reconstruction, because once you start that road, you're down that road and you committed your body to that and maintenance. And, you know, that's all because you have a higher risk uh, that may not pan out, may not cause you to have breast cancer. So, Think about the implications of this. When we start screening people more and more for, because they're going to convince people that, and with all the genetic modifications, this goes with GMOs and the whole thing. It's our genetics. Once you get people that scared that you're going to look in their genes and tell them you have a higher chance for this, for that, the other thing, and passing it on to your kids. And now with, with uh, the more we have government-supported medical care, the more we're going to be feeling like, should we be paying for people? who are going to have mutated genes. Notice that Angelina Jolie is also going to have a hysterectomy, an ovarectomy. The removal of the ovaries is what they recommend. Which is the worst women. thing that she could do. It's going to throw it's, it's her into early, early menopause. She's going to make estrogen like crazy. Well, and the thing is, it's sterilization. That's what we're really talking about here. This is eugenics. When you tell people that you are genetically inferior and should not reproduce. This is what they do with genetic counseling. And, you know, we're, we're creating a eugenics. This is a eugenics program. And they want women to want these tests. And if we can get people to stop reproducing, because they're, think about what the eugenicists are thinking. All these people require medical care. And if they're going to have children that are going to have a higher cancer rate and a higher rate for this and a higher rate for that, and maybe they look like they have the gene that makes them more, uh, uh, criminally active or they don't, they're not going to be very intelligent. They're going to be ugly. You know, who knows what they're going to be trying to determine with their genes. And they make lots of claims. And then you're going to look at, okay, do I want, does society want to support a whole nother generation of these? So in, in the thirties in 1930s and forties and twenties, eugenics was very hot in the United States. And we used to sterilize retarded people. And the, the argument was made that why should they be a burden on society? And their children, certainly. So there's there. And then, of course, there's a slippery slope. When you start pointing fingers at who doesn't deserve to reproduce and who does and so forth, we're looking at a lot of problems and this culture is going to be facing. And I think that's why I'm saying ultimately with genetic, I think they're going to be cloning people. People will be buying kids from a cattle. Uh, I want this gene. This, they'll have patented gene zygotes for kids i mean if, if things that's science fictionish thing but the technology is is going to be is almost there oh it's definitely there it's been there for a long time actually sid the genetic expression i want to make a distinction here and i want you to correct me if i need correction my mm-hmm. understanding of the way the genes work is that if you have a particular gene like my mother died of alzheimer's mm-hmm. and my sister wanted to get tested for it to see if she quote had that gene 
But my understanding is that just because you have a gene for something doesn't mean it's switched on, being expressed, or activated. Is that correct? It's totally correct. We, you know, genes, there's phenotype and genotype. The genotype is your actual genes, what you have if you were to do a, you know, mapping of your genes. The phenotype is the actual expression of those genes. And at certain times in our life, certain genes are silent and they aren't expressed at all. And then they do get expressed as we grow. There's like an unfolding of your DNA as you age. And certain, that's why, uh, you know, like, like when you, you hit certain stages of life, something turns on like puberty or, you know, different aging phenomena. You know, your whole DNA has like a timing mechanism and some is turned on, some is turned off. We, so, um, there's also epigenetic factors in the, in the cytoplasm of the cell that's outside of the nucleus that affect what genes are expressed. And they're studying that much more now and realizing you can change gene expression, what gets expressed by changing the stimuli in the, in the uh, cytoplasm. So in a way, think of your genetics as like a huge reference manual and you only access parts of it by your environment and what triggers it. There's a lot of repertoire you, won't, you don't need in your genetics. So um, if you have a gene for a particular trait, uh, a disease or a condition that or increases your, your, I mean, notice with this BRCA, it's like it increases risk. So you're talking about statistical stuff, which is, you know, all of this is very judgment oriented. And also, very, so does yeah. not going out and spending any time in sunshine increase your risk. Uh, okay. So does so does uh, not eating nutrient dense food. Uh, so <laughs> does uh, eating genetically modified food increase your risk. So does staying in an area where there's spraying in the air twenty four seven and dropping metal particulates on you. So is living near dirty electricity and power plants and transformers and substations. It goes on and on. That's risk, but, but nobody talks but, about that either those are culturogenic issues that's exactly what i research low frequency noise is another one created by drilling and by highways that solves and creates lung disease and heart disease and vibroacoustic disease there's i I've, I've researched that one too that's understudied and underappreciated all of these things challenge the culture it challenges the way we live it challenges our industries it challenges everything and the best way for this culture to deal with that is ignore it because the medical industry gets paid to treat the problems created by that. And, you know, so they're never going to want to look at that. They have no investment in looking at that. And as long as we keep everything on a genetic level, on a biochemical level, then they could use drugs because we're talking about biochemistry. And it totally disempowers the individual. You have no control over your genetics. And if you're told that it's genetic, it basically is telling you you're helpless. Well, and you're, you're, you're and at the mercy of doctors that they can look in their crystal ball and see your genes and soothsay and tell in the future what kind of diseases you might have or your children might have. Now, on a very limited basis, there are some like cystic fibrosis or other diseases that people do have where they can definitely pass it on. You might want them to know that they can make a choice. It's not a black and white thing, but it's a very slippery slope. When we start getting the genetics that we have today and the ability uh, and the, the patenting of genes and the expensive tests and the government taking over those tests and making everybody, I mean, what happens when your genetic profile is public information? Am I going to want to hire you if I know that you have a predisposition towards shoplifting because you have a criminal gene or that you, you have an obesity gene? You might end up, you know, using more of the medical expenses and drive up my medical costs. I mean, once our genes are identify. I mean, they're taking blood samples now for criminals and they're doing genetic testing. So they're creating databases of all of our genes. And if they could fit, you have a commonality with this other group that increases the possibility of you being like that group, which we don't like for whatever reason. And it's on your record. I mean, we're talking about huge social problems that have to be dealt with with genetics. But look at the problems that GMOs are causing. I mean, we, we haven't even gotten to where we would label food as GMO because we know what that labeling would do to the product. People might say, I don't trust it, I don't want to buy it, so they don't want to label it. In the meantime, we're going to label people. And are we going to trust them then? What are we going to do to people if they're labeled genetically? So it, this is a big problem, Kim. Yeah, I know. Way beyond breast cancer, but the issue of bras and breast cancer that's so easy to understand is here you have an alteration of body shape, 
for fashion purposes to create artificially shaped breasts that women are conditioned to feel that they need, enough that they're even to do surgery for it, to put implants, to remove them, to do whatever. This disease isn't going to go away until we really address the bra. Now, I'm a little extreme. Telling, I, I think women should just ditch the thing. It's like discovering cigarettes cause lung cancer. I'm going to tell you not to smoke. Okay? But what ended up really happening was once after 30 years of resisting cigarettes cause lung cancer and the medical industry even still selling cigarettes because doctors smoke like doctors wear bras. And they're all part of the culture. And they don't, they, they're just as much part of the of the enculturation as everyone else and mentioning things that, you know, if a woman can't get rid of a bra, it doesn't matter whether she's a doctor or not. And if she's female wearing a bra as a doctor and doesn't want to go to work without one, she's going to resist this like crazy. They're in denial. It's a big denial that goes on. But ultimately we have to get past that. We have to, you know, with cigarettes, it took 30 years and then they came up with a filter and then they said, okay, smoke a filtered cigarette. So, the filtered cigarette is don't go with underwires. Okay, don't wear anything underwired. Don't wear anything push-up. Don't wear anything that leaves red marks or indentations, which elastic does. So you don't want anything that pushes your breasts out of shape into a different shape because the mere act of reshaping applies constant pressure, which cuts down on the lymphatics. So you need if you're going to wear something over your breasts, it should be like a camisole, or something, a loose sports bra, but sports bras can be really constricting too. I hate to just say sports bras, like as like it's one thing. I mean, they're, they're still squeezing the breast. And, and by the way, exercise is an excellent time for lymphatic flushing. And if you're going to squeeze, constrict your breasts and keep them from moving, which is part of the pumping mechanism of the breasts, you know, they pump and you have these one-way valves in the lymphatics. So as the breasts move up and down while you walk, that slight motion helps actually pump the lymphatics. So you're putting the breasts inside a cage, squeezing them, constricting them, heating them up, putting metal around them, all of these. And, and the fabric itself is leaching toxins into the skin because elastic breaks down into 1,3-butadiene, which is a, a potent carcinogen. And that's not a good, you know, so in other words, synthetic polymers break down into the monomer that they're made of. And those can be toxic. That's why women get skin issues too from bras. Plus there's the old detergents, the old sweat, the old perfumes, and everything else that's inside the bra, intimately associated with your skin that's sweating inside of this thing for anywhere from 18 to 24 hours a day from the time you're like 10 years old or 12 years old. There's no doubt you're going to get a disease in your breasts by the time you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s. I mean, it's a time-dependent thing. The longer you do this, the worst it's going to get. I'm getting the idea I should take my walks at 5.30 in the morning without my bra on. <laughs> it's a good thing because there won't be too many people out there. But anyway, I want you to talk about how your wife is doing and what remedies you took to restore her health in her breasts. We didn't go for a mammogram or any other tests. I mean, we just were not into testing with a pregnancy anyway. We just didn't want a radiation or anything. Obviously, first thing, she got rid of the bra. And our regimen is, you know, we live off of, uh, here in Hawaii, we live in a rainforest preserve. We drink, you know, rainwater. We, uh, we have organic foods. So she kept up all that. And we did breast massage. And uh, you'd be amazed at, at what you can do with massage, just getting into the breast and feeling where the tightnesses are, where all the, con you know, I've, I've even had chiropractors telling me that they've seen how, because of the underwire, with all that pressure, it actually can cause the muscles to adhere to the, the ribs. I mean, it causes this intense pressure. All, these are compression injuries. And if you feel along the bra line all the way around where the bra, wherever you have red marks and you feel that tissue underneath, it's had years of compression. So you need to like roll, massage that gently and try to relax it and loosen it up. And it'll take some time, but you'll feel it right away. And so she did. And the lump went away after a couple of months. And she's never had any problems since. She used to, um, if she wanted to jog or something, she, she couldn't do it for very long without a bra. She'd have to hold her breast with her arms. But over the years, uh, now she could, uh, actually it was less than years. After about a year, she became uh, capable of rebounding without anything on. And it feels really good now to have her breasts just move. It's like, give them a good flushing. They have no pain at all. And, and that, that took, but, you know, massage is, 
is, you know, it used to be in 1990, they said breast massage and it was a little taboo to even suggest. I think people are much savvier today about breasts and it's not so risque taking your bra off like it used to be. I mean, women are piercing, tattooing, implanting, doing all sorts of things to their breasts. Getting rid of your bra is nothing. Doing breast massage is great with coconut oil. I want to do a plug for coconut oil because I put coconut oil all over my body and that's when I massage my own breasts. Yeah, well, coconut oil is great. Uh, we have coconuts, so we can we get fresh coconut oil. But yeah, anything that massage with oil, you know, any oil will probably help. I mean, olive oil is good too. I, I believe I'm a big believer in massage because circulation is extremely important. When anything is stagnant, Toxins build up, uh, internal ex toxins and external can't get flushed out, and the tissue deteriorates. So actually, there's another moral for this story. is not just for bras and breasts. We also, if you look at the research, when you wear a belt and you have constriction in your abdomen, the organs, you know, the flow of the lymphatics has to go against gravity when you're standing up towards your heart to return those lymphatics. So they have to pump against gravity using these little valves, like I said, and if you put a belt line with constriction along there, that's going to restrict that drainage of organs below the belt line. And what you'll find is colon cancer is higher in the parts of the colon below the belt, like in the, the sigmoid and rectum and the, the first early parts uh, of the colon. Those are below the belt line. They have the higher in highest incidence. Also will affect your bladder, the uterus. All of these organs have to drain against a pressure grating if you're wearing a belt. You know, tight socks, tight shoes, all of these things, you know, but you, it's really interesting when you think about people and our need to conform despite discomfort and health problems. I mean, look at foot binding in China that lasted almost a thousand years and women's feet were so distorted and deformed that their toes would rot away from these, from the constant pressure and men would get erotic stimulation um, washing their feet and, uh, you know, just treating them, keeping them bound. And this foot binding, you know, there, there would have been no question what's causing this foot deformity that couldn't have been comfortable. Um, but they, uh, they went on. So, you know, the corset went on for a long time, despite health reformers saying this is killing women. And, and men wore them and children started wearing them. I mean, it's really amazing what we humans do to try to look acceptable and fashionable and part of society. And that's the nature of a culturogenic disease. It looks so normal in that it's hard to object, objectively look at it. It's built in with industries making money on it and medical industry making money on it and willingly looking the other way. By the way, I want to have a really good analogy for understanding medicine. You know, when you look at like a movie like MASH and you see the... Um, the medics and how they have to deal with constant war injuries, right? Yes, yes. Well, if you were to ask a medic, how would we end this? How can we prevent this? Uh, you know, they would say, well, stop the war. But that's not their job. Their job is when someone gets shot, they have to get out there, get the person, stabilize them, and try to get them back out there again. So that's what medicine is. You know, we in society are like, in, in a war zone when it comes to our health. There are so many things that are getting us. Stress, poisons, violence. How many things do we do that are associated with injury? I mean, we risk so much. Every day you go on the highway, you're taking your life in your hands, assuming that medicine will be there to patch you up if anything happens. So the medicine, medical people are there to patch up and get you back out. You say, I have a headache, they'll give you something to get rid of the headache so you can go back to work. You say, I have you know, a back problem, I have this disease, I have that condition, I'm not. They'll give you whatever it takes to make it so you can continue your life, like go out back into the war. They're not here to change your life and to re-examine how you live and change society. But you know, when I was in medical school, I remember uh, there was this course, we were talking about medical stuff and uh, about society, and they said... This is an interesting fact. The biggest predictor of disease is poverty. That is the biggest predictor. Poor people get sick more than middle class or affluent people. And that's because of the stress and because of all of the things they put in their bodies. They live in the, in the worst parts, worst places, eat the worst food and all of that. But it's a lot of to do with stress too. And these people, so I, I said, 
very naively. So that means as doctors, we can do a lot of good by fighting poverty. And I was looked at like, what kind of an idiot are you? We don't do stuff like that. We give drugs and surgery. We don't change society. That's why breast cancer is still an epidemic. That's why the medical community refuses to look at this. Also, it's going to make them look so bad that they ignored this. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how they can save face after saying it should be ignored, which is what they're actively saying and calling it a myth. Um, and uh, so we're going to have this disease as an epidemic so long as women are conditioned into feeling they need artificially shaped breasts and that medicine looks the other way. And that people don't have the the, uh, the bravery. I mean, they said Angelina Jolie was brave. That wasn't brave. She was a sheep. She wasn't being brave. She was just following doctor's orders. And she probably already had implants. So whether you take out a little more breast tissue and put in more implant or not is almost a moot point. I mean, she already had fake breasts. So Angelina Jolie, in my opinion, wasn't brave. What's brave is fighting social norms that are making you sick. Being willing to tell your, your boss, I can't wear a bra because it makes me in pain. And I am a much better employee when I'm not in pain. And I don't think it's your business whether my breasts are, are, are at one position or another as long as it doesn't interfere with my work. And I think we need women to do that. They need to stand up. And once they do, others will too. And it, it, they're just waiting. There are a lot of women are waiting for, for the lead. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. It's funny how sometimes you don't take action until people have died. I remember visiting my mother in an Alzheimer's facility in Studio City, and my cousins, Carol and Dan, were there. And I had this little tape recorder with me. My dad had passed on five years before. And I started to interview my cousins, Carol and Dan, about my parents because they were very close to them, and they knew them for many years even before they were married. I want you to know that I got the funniest most adorable stories about my mom and dad that I would have never heard otherwise. I kid you not. I found out that my dad, Buddy Greenhouse, used to invite people to massive parties, bring everybody together, and then they'd all get to the party and they go, where's Buddy? And he was not there. In other words, he would just put the whole thing together, get everybody to come, and sometimes he would not show up. Now, you may not think that's funny. You may think that's rude and all that, but I thought that was hysterical. When I first heard about it, it's just not something that I would think that my dad was capable of, but apparently he was. Many of you listening to the show are going to wait until your parents and your sisters and brothers and cousins pass on before you ever capture the wonderful stories and legacy of your family. I'm making a very special service available to those of you that would like me to interview your family and capture the wonderful stories that are the gift of your family legacy. It's a really special service. It's very confidential and private and can be done in either audio or video. Don't miss the occasion to capture the living legacy of your family and the great treasures that are sitting there. I'm a miner. I know how to get to those treasures. Call me at its rainmaking time at 626-398-8652. Thank you. And back to the show. What kind of backlash have you experienced, if at all? Have you had any pushback on this? Well, you know, um, apart from my work being blacklisted, you know, every time this almost blows up, because the whole issue is so explosive, it needs to blow up. The medical community is there to put the lid on it, and that ruins my reputation and my work. My entire career has been affected by the lack of recognition for my work because it's too threatening. So that's backlash. The bar industry threatened to sue my publisher when the book first came out, but they never sued because, you know, there's nothing to sue about, but they were threatening. Now that's about it. I mean, in, in a culture that is sales focused, uh, where everything is marketed, even the internet, it's all about sales. Uh, my work is not as supported because I am challenging the culture. Just right. like it's hitting a lot of nerves, a lot of nerves. Oh. It's not just about this apparatus. It's about what's behind the apparatus as well. Absolutely. I wrote a book, Get It Off, which has a play in it called A Little Breast Play that was performed <laughs> as a musical called The Booby Trap. It was performed in New York, put to music by a composer that I met. And um, it's all about the cultural issues. Because after Dress to Kill, we were naive. We thought once, once this information is out... Everyone is going to be like looking at it, saying, wow, this is great. They do another study to confirm it. 
women would stop wearing bras, the bra industry would shut down overnight and, and everything would, you know, would get rid of this disease. It didn't happen that way. You know, there was, there was denial, there's suppression, there's censorship. My publisher was bought out. Avery Publishing was bought out in 1998 by Penguin Putnam. I couldn't get my book back. Um, the, the publisher, Avery, offered some books, some publishers, you know, when you publish a book, you have the copyright, but the publisher has distribution and printing rights. So I can't just print my own book if there's a publisher that's printing it. And once the publisher changed hands to Penguin Putnam, uh, Avery didn't offer me my book back prior to the transfer. And we're pretty sure that the tra- this is part of the reason they were bought out because this is huge. And this is, this is multi-billion dollar lawsuits are coming. And uh, so they were bought out and we couldn't get our book back until 2001. Penguin Putnam didn't even list it as available. And it was like the book was, they were trying to kill it. It was suppressed. And I tried, I asked them if they would give me my book back. They refused. I asked them if I could write a new book now that they're the new publisher owner of Avery and Avery did my first. How about an update? And they said I wasn't qualified to write an update because I'm not a breast cancer researcher that they would recognize. So Here's the new publisher giving me no credibility and not releasing my work and people asking me, where can I get your book? It seems out of print. So I had to take over printing in 2001 uh, in about October or so November. They gave me my, my book back and now I print my own books. We've published several others after that on other lifestyle caused diseases. People should go to my website, killerculture.com. Um, and I didn't talk much about the website. Hold on one second. I want to list some of the books that are there. You have Dress to Kill, Get It Off, Get It Out, and Get It Up, <laughs> and more. <laughs> yeah, Get It Up is about sleep position. You need to raise your bed when sleeping slightly to give you better brain circulation. And they know about this in space medicine, but it's completely ignored in regular medicine, and it works. It deals with all sorts of conditions like sleep apnea, migraines, glaucoma, um, Alzheimer's. There's a whole bunch of conditions associated with increased brain pressure. But the culture has a sleeping too flat and they don't consider. This is why hospital beds have elevated beds. So your head can be elevated to improve circulation. And uh, if you do that and sleep slightly elevated, that it changes your life. You've got to try that. And we give people self-studies. We explain how to try it. And you just try it on your own. It's all free. And we hope that they get back and let us know how they went. Uh, and that's just anecdotal, person to person. Because, you know, medicine doesn't make money on any of this. These are lifestyle changes. So medicine resists these things. And researchers who I've talked to who agree with me ask me not to use their names because they get grant money and they're going to be blacklisted. And, and if, they, if they're known to associate with anything that doesn't push drugs or that is a threat to the drug industry, that's the way it works. Um, anyway, Get It Out is a great one, too. That's about a whole bunch of other lifestyle-caused diseases associated with uh, elimination. Uh, you know, we have diverticulitis, kidney stones, bladder infections, uh, cervical dysplasia. Uh, all sorts of problems associated with various lifestyle issues that you can take control over. So that's another another important thing. And that's, again, on killerculture.com. We'll have articles on that, self-studies you can try. And uh, it's really your, your lifestyle is up to you, even though you feel pressured by the culture into conforming to certain things. But you once you realize that's hurting you, you need to take the initiative to address that, and if you want to be healthy, it's just up to you. It's your life. You have to take control. I can empower people with the information, but they have to empower themselves to take it on. Do you travel tra- much? No, not at all. I would travel if it was really important, but traveling is another one of those culturogenic problems. It creates a lot of disease, and and um, I live in a rainforest on purpose. Where we live here is completely off the grid. Uh, we raise our own food, and we take care of our own energy needs, uh, solar, and collect our own water, and live close with animals and nature. And um, and it's we do it as a lifestyle research center. It's a way to get out of the culture there and just immerse yourself in nature and and experience uh, you know your body and try to get rid of all these culture caused diseases. But it takes a person wanting this and being brave enough to be different. Because you're going to have to be different. The culture doesn't want health. This culture is invested in disease. I mean, we get days off for being sick. We get rewarded for being sick. And if you're healthy, you don't need products and services that people are marketing. And they keep us ignorant by not teaching children in school how to take care of themselves. They teach us to be dependent. We have a planned dependence, planned ignorance about our bodies. 
and we go to these experts who make money on our ignorance and are invested in us being sick to need their services. So guess why? You know, guess why? Uh, you know, the healthcare industry is is bankrupting the country. It's you know why that's the number one problem that you know expense. It's because we live in a culture where it pays to it pay. The culture benefits from sickness. Individuals don't, but macroeconomically, looking at the culture and how reliant it is on the products that make us sick, and the and the people that that then we go to to try to patch us up so we can go out and do it again. That's what it's all about. So you know, culturogenic disease, and that's what we study. Institute for the study of culturogenic disease. And as you can imagine, we don't have a lot of corporate sponsors. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Sydney Ross Singer, the author of "Dress to Kill: The Link Between Breast Cancer and Bras." If you'd like to find out more about his work and the other books that he's published and written, go to KillerCulture.com. And acquaint yourself with his site. He's also had other radio appearances on other shows. Thank you for your research and the links you've made and for informing the public about how culture has us brainwashed and about a lot of the things that we're doing are not good for us. And bras are one of them. And for us women, I guess we need to really consider making a major adjustment to this situation. I don't know that I'll give up my bra, but I know that I can wear it much, much less and only when necessary. Sydney Rossinger, thank you so much for joining us on It's Rainmaking Time. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Kim.